Welcome to the What is Stoicism podcast. Stoics knew how useful stories and examples could be in the illustration of philosophical lessons. Clear descriptions and explanations of principles are vital, of course, but demonstrating them in practice is an invaluable tool in helping people to understand them. The example I want to share today comes from Seneca's Consolation to Marcia, which was a letter the Stoic statesman sent to his friend to help her manage her grief following the death of her son. As Marcia has been struggling to come to terms with her loss for some time, Seneca concludes that he is unable to tackle such hardened sorrow in a kind or gentle manner. It must be shattered. He then presents the following real-life examples that we could adapt and apply, not just to grief, but to any misfortune, as we decide how we'll respond to what we face in life. Here's what Seneca shares in his Consolation to Marcia. I hope you find it useful. I am aware that all who wish to give advice to someone start with instruction and end with example. But there are times when it is salutary to change this custom. For different people should be treated in different ways. Some are guided by reason. Some require to be confronted with famous names and the authority that takes away a man's independence of mind if he is held in thrall by outwardly impressive actions. Let me put just two examples before your eyes, the greatest ones of your sex and age. The first, of a woman who allowed grief to sweep her away, the second of one who was afflicted by a similar misfortune, but a greater loss, and yet did not allow her ills to hold sway over her for long, but swiftly brought her mind back to its normal state. Octavia and Livia, the one the sister of Augustus, the other his wife, lost their sons when they were young men, both with a certain hope of becoming emperor. Octavia lost Marcellus, on whom Augustus, both uncle and father-in-law to him, had begun to lean, transferring to his back the burden of empire, a young man of keen intelligence and powerful ability, yet together with this, possessing a sense of economy and moderation, much to be admired in one so young and rich, who submitted patiently to labours and gave no time to pleasures, but was prepared to shoulder whatever his uncle might want to place, or, so to speak, build upon him. He had chosen well a foundation that no weight would crush. Throughout her entire life she never ceased to weep and sigh, refusing to hear any words of healthy counsel or even to allow herself to be distracted. Concentrating on one thing alone, with her whole mind fixed on it, she remained all her life as she was at his funeral. I do not say lacking the resolve to rise, but allowing no one to raise her spirits and regarding any cessation in weeping as a second bereavement. She refused to have a single portrait of her darling son and would not permit any mention of him. She hated all mothers, directing her rage at Livia in particular, as the good fortune once held out to her seemed to have passed to that woman's son. She became the intimate of darkness and solitude and gave no thought even to her brother, disdaining the poems that were written to glorify Marcellus' memory and other literary honours, and closing her ears to every consolation. She withdrew from all customary duties and hating even the good fortune that shone too brightly around her because of her brother's greatness, she buried herself in seclusion. Although seated among children and grandchildren, she did not cease to wear clothes of mourning, treating all her family insultingly by thinking of herself as childless, 
when they were still living. Livia had lost her son Drusus, who was likely to be a great emperor and was already a great general. He had penetrated deep into Germany and had planted Roman standards in a place where it was barely known that any Romans existed. He had died on campaign, and even the enemy had shown reverence towards him when he fell sick, by maintaining the peace that we observed and not daring to hope for what their interests dictated. This death, which he had met in the service of his country, aroused an overwhelming sense of loss among his fellow citizens and the provinces, and indeed in all of Italy, throughout which people poured from the townships and colonies to pay their sad respects, escorting him right into the capital in what appeared to resemble a triumph, far more than a funeral procession. His mother had not been permitted to receive her son's last kisses or to absorb the loving words from his dying lips. On the long journey on which she followed the remains of her beloved Drusus, she was tormented by the great number of funeral pyres burning throughout all Italy, as with the sight of each she felt she was losing him again. But from the moment she had placed him in his tomb, she laid aside her sorrow, together with her son, and grieved no more than was honourable or just to the emperor, considering he still lived. And finally, she never ceased to extol the name of her own dear Drusus, or to have his likeness portrayed everywhere, in public places and in private, and her greatest joy was to speak about him and to hear others do the same. She lived with his memory, but no one can cherish and keep alive a memory that he has turned into a source of personal woe. Choose, therefore, which of the two examples you consider the more praiseworthy. If you wish to follow the first one, you will remove yourself from the number of the living. You will turn your back on other people's children as well as your own, and even on the very one you mourn, Mothers will see in you a grim omen. You will spurn decent, permissible pleasures as not sufficiently in keeping with your misfortune. You will linger in the daylight that you have come to loathe and regard your age as the greatest enemy for not bundling you away and making an end of you with all possible speed. You will be guilty of something most shameful and utterly foreign to your character, which is known to favour the better course of action, namely, of showing yourself unwilling to live, but unable to die. If, however, you show a more reasoned and gentler spirit by embracing the example of the second, most impressive lady, you will not become the partner of grief or rack yourself with torture. For what lunacy indeed, what evil it is, to punish oneself for misfortune and to increase one's own sorrows. You will demonstrate in this situation also that virtuous and restrained character that you have maintained all your life. For even in expressing grief, there is such a thing as moderation. As for that young man himself, so deserving of bringing you happiness by the constant mention of his name and remembrance in your thoughts, you will put him in a more worthy place if he greets his mother's eye as the same cheerful and joyful son he always used to be in life. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the What is Stoicism podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please consider taking a second to leave a rating and a review. It's a good way to let me know you're getting value from the content and it helps more people discover the show. I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I recommend checking out the Stoic Handbook podcast by John Brooks. It's one I've been a fan of myself for a while. It has great reviews. John publishes regular episodes that are always filled with practical wisdom and it's available on all the usual podcast platforms. 
You can also find it on the web at stoichandbook.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening.